Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by invoice to go I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the US, the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Today, we're speaking with Lillian Chen, the co-founder and COO of Barnon Games, a virtual trivia and games company that has gone viral as a team-building game for companies working remotely during the pandemic. In this episode, Lillian shares her tips on how to find a product market fit, create the network effect in order to achieve virility, and her key learning so far. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, Lillian. How are you today? Hi, I am doing well. How about you guys? Good. We are so good. Um, So you have quite an interesting little business, and we have not had anyone like this on the show, so I'm Mm. quite interested. Um, But why don't you start with telling us how you became the woman that you are today, everything that led up to this? Sure. Yeah, that sounds great. So my name is my name is Lillian. It's it's great to be on here with you guys. I am currently the co-founder and COO of Bar None Games, which is a virtual experiences company that connects people when they can't physically be present together. Yeah. But before that, I've I've done a, a variety of things. So previously, right before this, I was at an early stage venture fund based out of New York called FJ Labs, um, both as an investor as well as an entrepreneur residence, where I built, tested, and launched a bunch of different startups. Wow. And then prior to that, I worked at a private equity firm called Carlisle, investing in um, very late stage tech companies. So my career has definitely spanned a bunch of different stages and functions, <laughs> but doing this is certainly the most fun I've, I've ever had. Yeah. And you said that you were in New York. Are you still in New York or have you, like, since the pandemic happened, relocated? Yeah, it's funny you ask that. I was in New York before the pandemic, but since the pandemic, I've actually moved to Chicago, which is where my fiance lives. Beautiful. So nothing, nothing like a pandemic to be the catalyst for a move. To, oh no, tell to me about bring it. you closer together because either you have to stay apart yes. or you have to quarantine together. Yeah. Wow. So exactly, exactly. I would just love to know more about your um, your career before you started, and then we'll like dive into you, Barn on Games and how this like exciting new venture. Um, but what? What were you doing um, in sort of like the kind of investment space with new businesses? How, what, were you, what kind of businesses were you working on and investing in and, and how did that all come about? Yeah, totally. So I, um, I started out my career on Wall Street working at an investment bank specifically focused on consumer and retail businesses. And then after that, I moved into the private equity world, which is pretty common for a lot of people who start out in the investment, in the investment banking analyst program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of, I always felt like it was, it was really interesting in some ways, but never felt like I really found my groove completely Yeah, and kind of always had the itch to build something, but never honestly really had the time to even begin exploring that because the hours were just so crazy when I was working in that world. Yeah. And I finally, after, um, after a few years of working in finance, decided to go to business school, which is actually also where I met my co-founder of Barnon Games. But it was really during that period where I finally started exploring building companies and trying to see, is this really even something for me? Or yeah. is it just, you know, I, I had always a vision of what it was, but never had really done it and completely just fell in love and had really never felt the same amount of, um, satisfaction or purpose, I guess, yeah. as 
when I'm finally building something. So that was such a sign to me. And I knew that I just had to figure that out and pursue it. And that's kind of how I got into venture. And from there, how I ended up deciding to to leave venture and start Bar None Games in the middle of the pandemic, actually, yeah. with my former HBS classmate. Yeah, because so before that, you were um, on your LinkedIn, I noticed that you, you were an entrepreneur in residence. And I find this such an like amazing concept that you that you that, that's what you're doing because I guess you're then the person that's the innovator and the person coming up with the idea ideas and like what to do to like scale up businesses mm. what what was it that you were kind of what was your creative process in in that time like what what were you doing and what kind of ideas were you coming up with yeah, it is kind of a crazy, it's totally a crazy title and a crazy Love it. <laughs> job and definitely never something where if you had asked me five years ago, even, or like 10 years ago, I never would have expected myself to be in such a role. Yeah. Um. But, but it's really unique in that, yeah, essentially I was paid to come up with business ideas and test them and see if there was something there to start a to start a startup in. Wow. And a lot of it. Yeah, it was really fun. It was honestly really fun. Yeah. It was kind of a perfect combination of being really creative, but at the same time, you also did have to be kind of analytical because we were running a lot of tests and you had to kind of, you had to look at all the results and make decisions on at each step of whether or not it's worth continuing to pursue further. So can you just describe what those tests are? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who are, you know, listening, who are starting their businesses and might have an idea, but how do they then test that that idea is actually worth pursuing? What were you doing? How are you building MVPs and making sure that they were something that people actually wanted? A lot of it was talking to the customers. I think one of the biggest downfalls that I see a lot of people go through is you know, you personally fall in love with something and you decide, let me invest money or time or energy and let me just build it out and how I want it. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think being your own customer definitely helps to give you a good gut feel, but making sure that you're talking to a broad variety of people is also really helpful. I mean, I looked at a bunch of spaces where I myself, I wasn't even the main customer. And so I spent a lot of time um, either on the phone with people or going places where I knew what the potential customers were and just talking to them mm-hmm. and not trying to be presumptive in my questions and what I would ask them, but really trying to ask big, broad questions. And the goal was always to try and figure out what is their biggest pain point? What keeps them up at night? Um, What is something where if I were to offer them a solution, this would actually be something they wanted versus just something that would perhaps be incremental and maybe a nice to have, but not something that they were actually dying for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. So, because it like that's the thing, like you you are an analytical person, obviously with your career, but then you've also very creative and like barn on games. Tell us how that came about and what it actually is. Yeah, so. Barn on, Barn on Games is it's a virtual experiences company. A lot of what we do, though, is virtual team building. So 95% cool. of our business is for corporate clients who are looking for team building events. And then, you know, the small remainder is for private events, such as birthday parties or baby showers. But the, the story of how it came to be, um, my co-founder, Spencer, he was really involved in business school as a, com- you know, he was involved in the community. He was president of what we call a section, which is basically a group of 90 people who are um, one portion of the class. And mm-hmm. our one-year reunion was in May 2020, which obviously at a certain point, it became <laughs> very clear that it would no longer be in person. Yeah. So he was suddenly given this task of we're going to have 90 people who are going to be trying to connect with each other online 
But at that point, no one wanted to do another Zoom happy hour, especially with 90 people. That was that is just not something that I think anyone would ever think would work well. Yeah. And so he came up with this um, virtual trivia experience where he came up with questions and came up with a format and designed a virtual version of what you would typically do when you would go to the bar in person. Yeah. And he did this for free for the reunion for 90 people and people loved it. People started, you know, people literally would tell him, this is the best thing that I've done in all of COVID. And they started asking him, yeah, which is also such a nice feeling. Yeah. But they started asking him, can you come and do this for my team or my company? We really need this. And so it, it began very organically. He started doing it on the side. He was working a different day job. And then it kind of snowballed from there and it went from him doing you know, one game, two games, three games a week to suddenly he was doing 10, 15 games a week. And he said, listen, this is big enough. And the people want it, right? Mm. Everyone was asking for it. And so he decided to focus on it full time. And at the same time, you know, him and I were, we were talking about things and I was on the hunt for an idea where there was this same spark where the people, you know, that's kind of, it actually goes Mm. back to what we were talking about earlier, where you're always trying to find something where people want it and your customers are asking for it. Yeah. And this company was actually built organically from something where everyone just said, we need this and this is missing. And it really took a life of its own. Awesome. So then obviously you're talking to him and you're, you're saying, hmm, I'm kind of looking for this. How did that then come about that you became co-founders? So him and I, we worked on startup ideas when we were in business school together. And we're also close friends. So we're always, you know, I was involved. I, I wasn't I wasn't involved in the beginning, but I was really aware when he was doing this and was a big supporter. And there came a point where he was like, listen, I, I want to take on a co-founder. And I was still hunting for ideas. I hadn't mm-hmm. really found something yet at that point where I felt confident that this is something where, you know, I felt like I had found a solution that people really wanted. And our skill sets at the same time are very complementary. And it was kind of just a natural fit. And I started working with him and the business has really grown and really taken off. And a lot of, um, even though we both went to business school together, a lot of our skill sets are actually pretty different. So it works really well for us. Yeah. And that's, I think, really important in a co-founder relationship is that you have complementary skills and that you don't just work together because you're friends. It's because you actually have something that you can both each bring to the table that the other person maybe doesn't do as well. Was there like, was there any kind of moment where you you felt nervous about taking on a business partner or do you think he did or was it quite seamless for you both? I think it was helpful that we had worked on building a company together when we were in business school. So yeah. we had a foundation already of working together in a sense that wasn't just purely friendship. Yeah. At the same time, we both knew each other, we trusted each other. And I think starting a company with anyone during the pandemic when mm-hmm. you can't be physically together in person <laughs> is really, really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that we both already knew each other so well before made the process actually much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we spend a lot of time we spent a lot of time talking about what were our own expectations, not just for the company, but for our lives in general and making yeah. sure that we were really aligned on it. And, um, you know, even even today, like we, we have really honest feedback conversations when we need it. And I think both of us know that it's everything is grounded in good intentions. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, okay, so take us through the story of now you're on this co-founding journey together. And at this point, it's bar non-trivia, but this evolves. So can you... Tell us how it all happened. Yes, absolutely. So 
I joined Spencer in the fall of 2020, and the holiday season was just bonkers. I mean, we we scaled five acts on a weekly games basis in the wow. holidays, as you can imagine. Most yeah, it was really crazy. Um, most companies have a massive budget for holiday parties, and so in December it was just completely nuts. I mean, we um, we have a team that we work with to host our games. That team doubled over the course of the December holidays. And so after that, you know, we we took a little bit of time in January and paused and wanted to think about what does the future of the company mean and what can we do to continue to grow the business. And one thing that we had realized is that a lot of our customers come back to us and a lot of them play trivia again with us, but people also come back and ask, are there other games that we can play with you? We love the experience and it was, you know, so easy to book with you guys and Mm -hmm. we would love to do something else with you. Mm -hmm. So that's when we kind of started thinking about why don't we offer another game? Um, Hmm. Why don't we try and expand beyond our offering? Our DNA is still the same in that we focus on games where people have fun and they're laughing and it's all super interactive and collaborative and we break people up into smaller teams. But there's so many different types of experiences that fit within those characteristics. Mm -hmm. And so we are launching our second game right now and it's all designed in-house we, you know, we really pride ourselves in making things really fun and engaging for the audience. And so all of that is still the same, yeah. but the content is different. Yeah. And that's the triathlon game. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we cool. call it the triathlon. <laughs> and, and what do you do in that? What's, what's the differentiator between the two? And how did you come so up with that? we call it the triathlon. Well, we uh, we spend a bunch of time brainstorming. I mean, him and I are also both games lovers in yeah. general. And so we also, we have a bunch of games that we just love to, you know, riff off of. So the triathlon is a hybrid of three different mini games. One is a family feud inspired survey says, another is a word puzzle game. And then the last one is a online scavenger hunt. That's a race against time. Cool. And so we piece these all together and we've tested it with a bunch of our friends and kind of really tried to refine it to make it as fun and engaging and inclusive of everyone as possible, which is something that, you know, I think depends on what type of game you're creating. But our our goal is not to make a a competitive, a fierce competitive game where some people rise to the top and some people sink to the bottom. We want everyone to feel included in the experience. Yeah, and I think that's such a key thing because like, there's some like really brutal games where if you're the winner, then you're having all the fun and everyone else is just a bit like, oh, <laughs> this is rubbish. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I've been on the side where I'm not having fun before. Yeah. So we definitely don't want people to feel that way ever on yeah. our games. Awesome. So, okay, so in the period when you were doing this like crazy 5X weekly growth, what was your marketing strategy? Like, what, How did you decide to go to market? And what were the learnings that you had from that time? So in the beginning, honestly, a lot of it was word of mouth and leveraging Mm. our personal networks. And the beauty of our games is since we only do private events, word spreads pretty naturally since whoever the point of contact is who books it ends up inviting on average over 20 other people to join the game. Wow! So those people also then spread it to their other friends or colleagues. In fact, 70% of our games are either word of mouth business or repeat games. A lot of people actually also come back for a second game or a third game. We have some some customers who, who do bi-weekly games with us. And we are obsessed with creating a phenomenal product. And we're constantly making iterations and listening to customer feedback. Yeah. And so I think part of that is also why 
a lot of people want to spread the word about us. Yeah, you've kind of then got that network effect built into the product then, don't you? It's kind of just like a seamless way of getting the referrals and the, the viral effect that so many businesses try really hard to get. You just do naturally. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're, we're definitely also le- tr- beginning to leverage a lot of other channels, but I think especially in the earliest of days, it was really helpful mm-hmm. to have that heavy word about so we could focus on the product and the operations. And now we're beginning to focus on outbound sales and SEO and SEM, a lot of other channels and levers of growth. Yeah, totally. But I just think you've kind of done it so well because that is a free marketing channel and it's working really well. So everything else just like plugs and scales, doesn't it? But you've got that good foundation of where you've thought about how people are going to tell their friends. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as a, you know, investor in, in your previous, like your career, was that the kind of thing that you would look for in companies when you were thinking about investing in them was how, how well oh, they had that viral effect? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that we would always think about is product market fit, especially in the earliest stages. Obviously, Mm -hmm. by the time you're later stage, you know, most companies have already figured that out. But in the earliest of stages, and this kind of goes back to, you know, the sense of what do the customers actually want? And are you really solving something? Do they actually want it? Or is it just a nice to have and something that, you know, maybe they'll do it. Yeah. But when you have this sense that people are spreading the word or people are so excited to tell their other friends about it. It feels like there's something that's really special there. Yeah. And that's definitely a sign that we would always look for when we would look at early stage companies. How do you create that product market fit then, like with the questions that you ask? Because I've often heard, um, you know, when you do a survey or something like that, that you can often ask questions in a way that people don't give you the answer that you need. They give you the answer that you want. Mm. So how is it that you you found how do you like iterate and ask the questions in the right way to be able to find the product market fit that you have done obviously many times with being an in-house in-house entrepreneur and now also with this game so there's this amazing book called the mom test Huh. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. <laughs> it's basically, it's founded on, it's it's named The Mom Test because um, there's a story that the person who writes the book says, and it's like, if you go up to your mom and you show your mom something that you've built and you ask your mom, is this good? Do you like it? Your mom is always going to say, it looks amazing. Of course, I love it. This is incredible. And so what you want to do is you never want to be asking your own mom for feedback because your mom is always (laughs) going to tell you what you want to hear. And it relates to how you phrase questions. It obviously relates to, um, you know, the context that you're giving people. Mm -hmm. Whenever I would go about asking, doing a lot of customer research, I would start off super broad and trying to ask um, a lot of different broad questions about specific, you know, specific different areas, but never trying to you know, lead them to what I think the answer is. Yeah. Because I do think if you give them something and you're like, what do you think? Yeah. Especially if it's someone who is a close friend or someone who might want to see you succeed, mm. the odds are really high that they're going to tell you what you want to hear. Okay. So can you, but like practically, what does that question look like then as a broad question? I'm just, I'm so intrigued. Yeah, this so, is so, this is honestly like so helpful. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, I mean, if you take Barn on Games, for example, and what we do, a lot of the people that we work with are HR managers or team managers, anyone who is managing a team that may be distributed. And if you ask them, a lot of times what's really interesting is work productivity is still really high. People are able mm-hmm. to perform the same amount of work. Mm-hmm. That's not an issue that they've seen. But what they'll say is the hardest part is employee morale. 
It's having a sense of how are my employees doing? Work burnout is actually a major issue, especially, mm-hmm. you know, now that everyone's 100% remote and you're not seeing your friends or family most likely. Yeah. And so these are the things that I think a lot of managers are spending their time thinking about is how do I make sure that my employees are still doing okay? Not yeah. are people getting their work done? Yeah. And so if yeah. you hear that, I mean, I'm not asking them hey, I'm building a games company focused at team building events. I'm asking them, hey, what do you spend most of your time thinking about? And what's the hardest thing for you to solve right now? Mm, Interesting. And then their answers start to like basically form how you would then structure and like create the ideas for the company that you're making. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, the way that Bar None came to be was is pretty organic in that it wasn't even meant to be a company at first. It was just <laughs> something that was done for a virtual reunion that snowballed. Yeah. But in a lot of my past life, a lot of it would be, it would be a very similar process where first we would try and figure out what is the biggest problem that people are dealing with, yeah. whether it's a team manager or whether it's, you know, a dentist or whether it's a veterinarian. I mean, there's so many different types of people that you could be targeting Mm -hmm. and then trying to think about what are the potential solutions afterwards instead of coming to a conversation already with a solution in mind. Yeah. 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 So like making sure that you remain open-minded, even if you have something in as an idea that you think could work if you, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm going to ask the obvious question, but (laughs) maybe the not obvious question as well. What do you think is the future of Barnon Games if the world goes back to quote unquote normal where we're back in offices or do you envisage the world won't be like that? I mean, yeah, this is what we spend a lot of time thinking about. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I think as things have progressed, it's just become more and more clear to us that the way that people think about their work locations has fundamentally been changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talk to managers at companies of different sizes every single day, anywhere from emerging young startups to Fortune 500 companies. And consistently, people are telling us it will not look the same as before. That yeah. could take a lot of different flavors, right? It could mm-hmm. mean... It can mean one extreme, which is, you know, complete flexibility, 100% of our company, no one is going to the office anymore. But Or it could mean, you know, maybe a certain percentage of the office is coming in three days a week. So there's a lot of different varieties and flavors, but I think we're all used to a certain amount of flexibility that is going to be really hard to take away, even Mm. when things go back to quote unquote normal. And then separately, a lot of people have distributed teams. So even if I'm going to the office, I might be working with someone who doesn't work in the same city as me or doesn't live in the same country as me even. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people where, um, or there's a lot of companies where even pre-pandemic, that was completely the norm. Yeah. Do you think this is something that people could end up playing in person or will it always be a distributed game? It's something that we have definitely talked about. In our our current format, we're planning on having it stay virtual, even in the post-pandemic world. But as with any company, we are always, you know, trying to remain flexible with how we think about the future. And clearly, if the world doesn't look like what we envision it'll look like, we're always ready to change things up. Yeah. (laughs) So what's your biggest challenge right now? and, And what are you hoping to solve for the business? I mean, honestly, a a lot of it right now is really just getting the word out. So we, Mm. like I said to you earlier, a lot of our business is word of mouth and repeat games, which is amazing when it comes to the network effects and the virality, Mm -hmm. but it's still, it's still a small business. 
Yeah. And we would love to be able to leverage a lot of different channels. And most of the time when people hear about us, they're super eager and our conversion rate's actually really high, but our yeah. challenge is getting the word out there so that people who aren't in our first, second, third, fourth degree networks can still hear about us. Yeah. Are you getting investment or is, is it like bootstrapped at the moment? It's bootstrapped at the moment. Um, and we are very lucky in that we were revenue generative from day one mm. and also cash flow positive. So we we always are talking about potentially raising money. But at this point, our goal is to kind of grow it to a certain state where if we were to go out and raise money, we could at least garner a valuation that we would think would be fair. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So smart. You've definitely like, do you think like all your experience led you to this moment where you you've created this business and know like how to scale and, and basically go for funding at the right time. Absolutely. I mean, my whole, my background is completely in finance and Spencer, my co-founder, he was actually employee number 200 at Uber. So he has also <laughs> been there for a company that has scaled immensely. I mean, he was there for four years doing operations and general management. And I think between the two of us, a lot of our past experiences has helped shape how we think about growing this company. Yeah, yeah, totally. What's your advice to anyone who's aspiring to make a game-based product or even just like a virtual product like you have? Mm, a product for remote workers. Well, yeah. not, not for remote workers, more like just like a virtual game. Like yeah. what are the learnings you've been from like the tech point of view? Is there any advice that you have to from that sort of standpoint? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the main thing to focus on is what really are your differentiators? Mm -hmm. And I think that comes in a few different formats. One is obviously the content and the second is the form. And so hmm. you want your content to be unique and really stand out from what currently exists in the market. For yeah. us, all of our content is written in-house and it's designed to be inclusive, engaging, and we can customize it to the audience. Yeah. But and when it comes to form, you know, I think the question that you should ask is, is what you're delivering actually meeting the need that your customers are solving for. And, you know, like I said earlier, we're not trying to create the world's most competitive trivia league. We're creating a team building platform. And so mm -hmm. when we design our games, we think about having um, having the ability to split people up into smaller teams because not everyone can feel comfortable speaking up on a 30-person Zoom. And so maybe they need a time where it's only five people together so that they feel comfortable speaking up and contributing. Yeah. But obviously those are considerations that it's very specific for our customers. And so for other people, maybe there's other things that they're solving for, such as creating the most intense trivia competition ever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, well, this has been really, really useful, Lillian. And I'm, I am started looking at the mom test and that's something I think is <laughs> one of the like key takeaways that I've really learned from you. So thank you for sharing everything that you've learned so far and really excited to see how the business evolves over the year and, and what's next. Um, if someone wants to play or get involved for their organization, where can they find you? Yeah, so our website is barnongames.com, B-A-R-N-O-N-E-G-A-M-E-S.com. All the info is up there about both our trivia as well as our new triathlon game. Cool. And that would be the easiest way. That sounds awesome. And is it available to customers all over the world? It is indeed. We've done games in, I think, three different continents across eight or nine different countries now. Wow. Amazing. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing. And I think we've connected with you on every single platform. So keep in touch. Amazing. Well, thank you both for having me on today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Chat soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Chat soon. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by Invoice2Go. 
We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere, at any location around the globe. We're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current U.S. pay gap sits at around 19%, listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just enter the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.